God bless you, friends. It's May 23rd. We are glad to have you with us for this installment of our daily podcast, The One-Year Bible Tour Guide. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. It is certainly worth it to devote a regular time each day to read this book, especially when you consider its uniqueness. It is a collection of 66 books written over a period of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors from a wide variety of walks of life, kings, peasants, herdsmen, fishermen, philosophers, poets, statesmen, scholars, in different places, written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, and yet with one cohesive theme, the redemption of the human race through the promised Messiah. Someone described the Bible as a puzzle with interlocking pieces that fit together to tell us one story. I remember hearing a man who was working at home and getting very distracted by one of his kids. He knew that he would have to give his child something to do to keep him occupied so as not to bother him. So the father of this child saw a big picture in a magazine of the entire planet. He thought that if he could take the picture out of the magazine, cut it up into little pieces, and challenge the child to put it together as a puzzle, this would give him some hours of concentrated work while the child occupied himself with this task. The man was surprised, however, when this child returned so quickly with the puzzle all put together. He was amazed. He said, Son, how did you do it so quickly? The son replied, Oh, that was easy, Dad. There was a picture of a man on the other side of the paper which you cut up. I put the man together. Then I turned the pieces over. When you get the man right, you get the world right. Well, this is true in putting the pieces of the Bible together. When you get the man, Christ Jesus, right, you see how easily the puzzle pieces of the Bible fit together. And we don't have to impose Jesus into this story, as we read in the Old Testament. Jesus said to the Pharisees, If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And when Jesus was raised from the dead and he spoke to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, he gave them a little Bible study of the things concerning himself in the law, the prophets, and the writings. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 27 and verse 44. Well, our prayer is that in this Bible tour, you will not only see the God-man Christ Jesus in the Scriptures, but that you will heed his call to come to him in penitent faith and entrust yourself to his saving work and submit to him as your Lord and personal Savior. This was the desire of the Gentile representatives we read about yesterday. They said, we would see Jesus. And may this be our prayer today as we read God's Word. We are in 2 Samuel, beginning with 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, and I am reading from the English Standard Version. I want to remind you that you can read the text online at theoneyearbibleonline.com, and you can also get copies of the One Year Bible at your local bookstore in many different translations. So here we are, 2 Samuel chapter 2, Verse 12. The Battle of Gibeon. Abner, the son of Ner, and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on the one side of the pool, and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve from Benjamin 
and Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And each caught his opponent by the head, and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore that place was called Helkath-Hazorim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. And the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Asahel was as swift of foot as a wild gazelle. And Asahel pursued Abner, and as he went, he turned neither to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he answered, It is I. Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand or to your left, and seize one of the young men, and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I lift up my face to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out at his back. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amah, which lies before Gaia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on the top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? And Joab said, As God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab blew the trumpet, and all the men stopped and pursued Israel no more, nor did they fight any more. And Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah. They crossed the Jordan, and marching the whole morning, they came to Mahanaim. Joab returned from the pursuit of Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, there were missing from David's servants nineteen men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin three hundred and sixty of Abner's men, and they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. Chapter 3. Abner Joins David There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. And his second, Chiliab of Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And the third, Absalom, the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. And the fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. And the fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithriam of Eglah, David's wife. These were born to David in Hebron. While there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Now Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? 
Then Abner was very angry over the words of Ishbosheth, and said, Am I a dog's head of Judah? To this day I keep showing steadfast love to the house of Saul your father, to his brothers, and to his friends, and have not given you into the hand of David. And yet you charge me today with a fault concerning a woman. God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him, to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul, and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah, from Dan to Beersheba. And Ishbosheth could not answer Abner another word, because he feared him. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face, unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. Then David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michal, for whom I paid the bridal price of a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping after her all the way to Bahurim. Then Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. And Abner conferred with the elders of Israel, saying, For some time past you have been seeking David as king over you. Now then, bring it about. For the Lord has promised David, saying, By the hand of my servant David I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. Abner also spoke to Benjamin. And then Abner went to tell David at Hebron all that Israel and the whole house of Benjamin thought good to do. When Abner came with twenty men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go and will gather all Israel to my lord the king, that they may make a covenant with you, and that you may reign over all that your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Just then the servants of David arrived with Joab from a raid, bringing much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David at Hebron, for he had sent him away, and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the army that was with him came, it was told Joab, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away, so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, and to know your going out and your coming in, and to know all that you are doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Sirah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach, so that he died, for the blood of Asahel his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab and all his father's house, and may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge, or who is leprous, or who holds a spindle, or who falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai his brother killed Abner, because he had put their brother Asahel to death in the battle at Gibeon. 
Then David said to Joab and to all the people who were with him, Tear your clothes and put on sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David followed the bier. They buried Abner at Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented for Abner, saying, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hands were not bound, your feet were not fettered, as one falls before the wicked you have fallen. And all the people wept again over him. Then all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was yet day. But David swore, saying, God do so to me, and more also, if I taste bread or anything else, till the sun goes down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as everything that the king did pleased all the people. So all the people and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's will to put to death Abner the son of Ner. And the king said to his servants, Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I was gentle today, though anointed king. These men, the sons of Zeruiah, are more severe than I. The Lord repay the evildoer according to his wickedness. And this is the end of our reading from our Old Testament portion from Second Samuel. Now let's take a moment to recap and reflect. The book of First Samuel described the transition from the rule of the judges to the rule of the kings of Israel. We saw the contrast between a king who did what was right in his own eyes and took matters into his own hands, including his death, that is, King Saul, and a man who sought to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, King David, although he often failed to do so. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 13, Saul is described as one who did not have supreme regard for God's commands, but David, according to Samuel, was a man after God's own heart. We can see also in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, that is quoted. He had many failings, but he pursued and served the purposes of God. In 2 Samuel, God removes King Saul, representing the first man, Adam, and installs David as king, foreshadowing the second man, the new spiritual man, Christ Jesus, the head of the new creation. The process of sanctification in our own lives as believers is reflected in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, and David grew steadily stronger, but the house of Saul grew weaker continually. There is a civil war within each of us according to Scripture. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life war against our souls. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, the strong desires of the self-enthroning patterns of thought and behavior, which wage war against the soul. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The way of maintaining spiritual victory is further described in Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say walk by the Spirit. That's the way of victory in Romans 8, verse 3 and 4. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. In 1 Samuel, we see David in seasons of preparation. First, as shepherd of his father's flock, in 1 Samuel 16, 11. Then, as warrior, taught of the Lord to defeat the enemy in the good fight of faith, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 
as with the greater David, his victory is imputed to his brothers. Then, as a keeper of the covenant, with Jonathan in chapter 18, verse 3, and 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 16 and 17. Then, as musician, extolling the virtues of the eternal king in the palace of human government, in 1 Samuel 16, verses 17 to 23, Psalm 10, verse 16, Psalm 24, verse 10, 45, verse 1, 95, verse 3, 98, verse 4, and 149, verse 2. We see him as a servant of the king in his courts in 1 Samuel 16:21, then as the anointed yet despised and rejected king in 1 Samuel chapter 19 verses 18 through 2 Samuel chapter 2 verse 4. The kingly attributes that are cultivated in the seasons of preparation in 1 Samuel come to the fore and are tested in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel, David is brought into the position for which he was being prepared in 1 Samuel. He is recognized as king of all Israel. His position as king points to what will ultimately be fulfilled in Christ. As the shepherd king, he becomes the shepherd of God's people, Israel. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, John chapter 10, verses 11 and 14 show how this is fulfilled in Christ. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel and you will be ruler over Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 2 As warrior king, he captures the stronghold of Zion, taking possession of Jerusalem, driving out the Jebusites, and striking down the Philistines. 2 Samuel chapter 5 and chapter 8, verse 1 As the covenant-keeping king, David keeps his covenant with Jonathan by taking care of his lame son Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 11 to 13. As worshiping king, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 to 19, David praises the Lord with all his heart and might. As the servant king, David is a servant of the Lord, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 19 to 21, verse 25, and verse 28, and a servant to others as exhibited in his making a provision for all those brought to his table. And then we see him as the king who is anointed before an accepting and united Israel. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 3. 2 Samuel chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 read, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. Second Samuel chapter 2 describes the civil war in which the servants of Saul continue to war with the servants of David. Twelve from each side are pitted against each other. Each one seizes their opponent by the head and thrusts their swords into their opponent's sides. Joab's brother, Asahel, who serves with the servants of David, is killed by Abner, who serves the family of Saul. The servants of David prevail, but at great cost. Vengeance would have devoured both sides completely had not Abner called for a truce. When Abner is wronged by the household of Saul, he comes before David and pledges to bring all of Israel to him. David sends Abner away in peace. Joab does not know all of this and suspects that Abner is a spy and kills him, punishing him for taking his brother's blood. 
David mourns Abner's death with fasting, chanting a lament for his skilled military officer who was intent on bringing the northern tribes to accept his appointment as king. Abner's death could have revived the conflict, but David's display of grief is heartfelt and convinces the people of Israel that he was not approving of his death in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 37. This pleased all the people in verse 36. War is averted and the prospects of a united kingdom are strengthened. David realizes that although he is king, he cannot fully control subjects such as Joab and Abishai. His trust must ultimately be in the sovereign hand of God. 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 39. Now let's go to our New Testament reading today from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 30. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread 
when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament portion from the Gospel according to John. The Upper Room Discourse begins not with words, but actions. John would recognize that these actions spoke of Jesus' love. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples. The Passover not only commemorates God's deliverance from Israel's bondage in the past, but prophetically speaks of the work of redemption God was about to accomplish for all people in Jesus' death on the cross. As our Passover lamb, Jesus puts away the sin of the world by fully satisfying the righteous demands of God's law, paying the full penalty of sin for those who would believe Him. John chapter 1, verse 29, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus is conducting the Passover Seder ceremony. The word Seder means order and refers to the order or sequence of the meal that tells the Passover story. There is a point in the meal designated for the washing of hands called urkatz. It takes place before dipping the carpus, the parsley, into salt water, signifying tears, and partaking of the bitter herbs. John positions the story of Jesus' washing the disciples' feet, urkatz, just prior to the bitter experience of Jesus being betrayed by Judas. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. The Urhats speaks of cleansing. Even today in the Passover Seder, water is poured into a basin and hands are washed prior to partaking of the meal. However, Jesus starts with the washing of the feet. It is a picture of his condescension. Jesus puts aside his normal attire, the robes of his eternal glory, and takes his servant costume, clothing himself with our humanity. He then washes the feet of the disciples with the towel with which he was girded. At first, Peter resists Jesus' act of humble service. Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus explains that his actions have a greater meaning that Peter would understand later. Peter still protests that Jesus is of greater stature than to do the lowly task of foot washing. Jesus explains that unless Peter allows him to wash his feet, he will have no part or portion with him. Immediately, Peter reverses his decision and asks to be cleansed all over. Jesus' response indicates two cleansings. The first cleansing indicates having taken a bath by which one is fully cleansed. This is a cleansing that Jesus said Peter would not need because of a once-and-for-all washing in which he is declared fully clean, a picture of justification by faith. The second cleansing indicates the routine washing of feet. 
It refers to one's ongoing need for cleansing as we walk each day in the world, a picture of our progressive sanctification. Jesus would provide the means of doing this through the ministry of His Word, His Spirit, and His fellow servants who would humbly submit themselves to doing the same to their brothers and sisters. Now let's go to today's reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 119, verse 1 through 16. And reading the psalm today is my son, Benjamin McAdam. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Thank you, Ben, for reading the opening verses of this precious psalm. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms, and it is the longest chapter in the Bible. It describes the sanctifying effect of the written Word of God. A good devotional exercise is to underline all the synonyms for the Word of God in Psalm 119. You will discover that there are at least seven synonyms for the Word of the Lord. Law, that is Torah, Testimony, Precept, Statute, Commandment, Judgment, ordinance or rule in the sense of a rule for living, and promise. If you count ways as a synonym, you have nine. The result is that all 176 verses refer to the Word of God with the exception of these five, verses 84, 90, 121, 122, and 132. Psalm 119 is written in the form of a Hebrew alphabet acrostic with 22 sections because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of these sections contain eight verses. Each verse in each section begins with the same Hebrew letter of that section. For example, our reading today consists of the first two sections. Verses 1 through 8 all begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph. Verses 9 through 16 all begin with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Beth. The respect that the psalmist has for the Word of God is one that we should emulate. I think of the Lord Jesus and how his love for his Father is reflected in his delight by obeying his written commands. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. The first section, 
that is verses 1 through 8, teaches us how to live a life that is blessed and unashamed. Learn the word, read it, hear it, study it, meditate upon it, memorize it, and then walk in it, keep it, live it. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Psalm 119, verse 7. What is your attitude towards the Word of God? Do you hunger for it? Do you delight to meditate upon it? Do you look for opportunities to hear it and learn it? Do you seek to walk in obedience to it? The theme that strikes me in the second section, verses 9-16, through is the role of the Word in the pursuit of holiness. I need to have meditated upon the Word and be able to remember it when I am faced with temptation, just as Jesus demonstrated when he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1-11. through 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Psalm 119, verse 9. Now let's go to the Bible's treasure chest of wisdom, the book of Proverbs. And we are reading Proverbs chapter 15, verses 29 through 30. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Those who are declared righteous are those who have trusted in the righteous person and work of our Savior. We can ask anything in his name, and he hears us. To have our understanding illuminated by the Holy Spirit is to have bright eyes and a glad heart. To meditate upon the gospel will cause us to grow spiritually. Now let's pray. Lord, we pray that you, O Sovereign King, would gain ascendancy in our heart's affections, that we would exhibit your rightful rule in our lives. May the house of the greater David grow stronger as the house of the deposed ruler our Adamic nature, typified by Saul, grows weaker. Thank you for clothing yourself in our frail humanity and serving us with your perfect work of salvation. We are washed, sanctified, cleansed by your blood, and being washed in your word. Cause us to treasure your word and hide it in our hearts that we might maintain fellowship with you as we walk in the light. Thank you for this time of feasting upon your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we truly have been feasting on God's Word today, and I trust that you have been fortified in your faith and that you are ready to exhibit a new life in Christ to those around you. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow and continuing our journey. But in the meanwhile, if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us by writing podcast at newlife.org and we will get back to you as soon as possible. Also, we would like to direct your attention to our website, newlife.org, and you can learn more about New Life Community Church and its many ministries. So God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow. May you enjoy His perfect peace as your mind is stayed upon Him.